Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Hey, this is Aaron Hale with Extraordinary Delights. And if you want to learn how to build meaningful relationships, you should listen to Build Your Network with my good friend, Travis Chappell. Welcome back to the show. I believe that who you know is more important than what you know. If you agree, then keep on listening for tips on how to cultivate meaningful connections the right way. If you disagree, then tune in anyway to let me prove you wrong with my journey. My name is Travis Chappell, and this is the Build Your Network Podcast. Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Build Your Network. Today is a little bit different of an episode just because, like, I just say that because this is probably the most emotional that I've ever been on an episode. And and look, I don't know if you're going to be able to tell while you listen, but uh, look, you tell me. You tell me if you can tell. I uh, th- This guy is just an absolute hero. He, his story is incredible and uh, definitely got me emotional while we were talking about it. And, I, and I'm sure it's going to do the same to you. His name is Aaron Hale. He's a 14-year veteran military chef and explosive ordnance disposal team leader, and he's overcome all odds. From the moment a blast robbed Aaron of his vision in Afghanistan to a couple years later when he lost his hearing, he refused to accept defeat. Aaron started a nationwide chocolate company with his wife, runs marathons, climbs mountains, and speaks all over the world, sharing his story with the mission of helping others overcome the challenges that they face. Everything that I just said is just, it's hard to even comprehend what this guy has actually gone through, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So when we when we walk through like this brief bio that I just read off, that is amazing in and of itself just to hear those things. But we we kind of glaze over so much in that story. And so we kind of dive into those those things here in this interview with Aaron. We a couple of things that we kind of go into here is uh, his first thoughts when he realized that he was never going to see again and uh, what what kind of reality that is and, and how he faced that. And then we talk about this one was my mind-blowing. We, we talk about what it was like to be deaf and blind for six months. So there was a period of time in between uh, the time that he went deaf before he got his his cochlear implants in his ears so he could start hearing to a certain extent. We talk about exactly what he hears and how he hears a little bit later on, but we talk about what it was like for those six months just to be completely just silence and darkness. And uh, man, it's just an incredible, incredible story. And then how all of this moved into just starting a chocolate business. I mean, this guy has done amazing, amazing things. And anytime I feel an excuse coming up now for why I can't show up and, and do my best, I think of Aaron's story because it's such a slap in the face whenever you're just like, man, I'm tired. <laughs> and you look at it comparatively to what people have gone through and people like Aaron have endured and come out triumphant, not just like surviving, but 
thriving. And uh, man, just such an inspirational story. And I cannot wait to get into some of these things with you guys. But first, before we get into that, if you are a six or seven figure business owner, please pay attention really quick. If you want to know how I create and maintain relationships with people that I've had on my show, if you want to become an authority in your niche, if you want to have your dream clients or customers come to you and amplify your message to the masses, then I challenge you with this. Make it your goal to start a podcast in 2020. My only regret in my podcasting journey was waiting. I knew that I wanted to launch a show like fall of 2016, but I didn't end up launching until August of 2017, which is almost a full 12 months after I knew that I wanted to do it. And that waiting period had cost me nothing but time money, skill. I could have been way better at this by now. Like there's so many things that I wish I would have just, you know what, just jumped in and, and, and started. So stop waiting and just get started. But you're going to want to make sure you get started the right way, or you're just going to continue wasting time and money. And that's where I come in. I help high level entrepreneurs just like you create, launch, grow, and monetize podcasts. So if you are a six or seven figure business owner, and you want to see if we'd be a good fit to work together to get your show out into the world, then head on over to travischapel.com slash apply to book a discovery call and we will talk really, really soon. That's travischapel.com slash apply. And now enjoy my conversation with Aaron Hale. Aaron, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, Travis. It's, uh, it's an honor to be on. Yes, sir. So look, there's so many parts of your story that are just absolutely incredible. So let's not waste any time here and let's jump right in. So I know that you ended up in the military, but let's go before military experience and talk about growing up for you. What was life like for 12, 13, 14, 15 year old Aaron? And how did you end up going into the military? Well, no, frankly, uh, up until about a month before I joined the military, I absolutely knew I'd never be in the service. It just, I, I grew up in uh, the Midwest, Akron, Ohio, and I had a, a terrific life, wonderful uh, family, terrific education, and grew up uh, playing, you know, high school football and just enjoying life. And in fact, so much so that I really didn't have a, a whole lot of ambition, a little direction in where those goals, those plans. I didn't know where I was going to go. I knew that it would be right to go to college and I chose business as my major, but I had no reason for it, no why behind it. So frankly, I mean, I loved cooking. My whole family uh, has a, a creative spark, a creative gene in them. My mother, my brother are, are graphic artist, great you know, with sketching and painting. But my artistic gene fell in the kitchen with the culinary arts. So throughout uh, middle and high school and even into college, I took side jobs cooking here and there, all the way from Chuck E. Cheese to restaurants out in California. And I knew I loved it, but I, I didn't have any career focus yet. So when I got to college, I found what I was looking for, more of like Animal House than an education. Soon after I picked up my freshman 50, uh, <laughs> I decided... Freshman 50, it, huh? Yeah. I, I decided I needed I needed to change course. And that's when I sought out the military. And it was mm. really because I wanted to, well, get back some of that tuition I'd, I'd waste. So, so squandered. Yeah. Uh, and it was to find some direction in my life. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is uh, the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over one hundred and forty million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine 
is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Why do you think it was important for you to find direction? Like a lot, I mean, a lot of, a lot of people are in the same position that you were in, but they are totally happy with that situation, right? And not trying to get out of it. So why do you think you cared at that point? What was next for you? Well, because my family, well, we're not an affluent family. I knew that eventually I'd be out on my own too. And I would have to have some kind of skill. I'd have to have, you know, find a way to provide for myself and someday for my family. So I needed, and, and, and frankly, it was a sad sad existence. You can goof off and have fun for so long, but then it's not fulfilling. And I needed to find something that fulfilled me. And how old were you at that time? I was 21. 21 years old. So at 21, you basically decide, hey, I need more discipline, I need more structure. I need a purpose in my life. Also, I need to make some money and pay off some debt. So military is the right choice. Like, was there any other career option that came across your path? Or was it just like, and did you join the military more for like, purpose reasons or more for this is my really my only option at this point reasons? It was the most logical next step. Like all of the the recruiters posters, you get to tour the world, you get discipline, you get all those great things that they, they talk about, and you get the GI Bill. So it just made all the sense. I needed everything on that list. Got it. Got it. So talk to me about your experience getting into the military and things. Were there anything that anything that happened like, you know, during boot camp? What branch did you join? And then like, was there something in there that was surprising to you in a negative or positive way or anything like that? Well, everything was surprising to me. For one, I, the military has a way of advancing you with your skills, not your level of readiness. And by that, I mean, you may not feel like you're ready to be promoted or given a leadership role, but they're going to put you there and make sure you're ready. So day one in basic training, you know, you get the, the buzz cut and you stand on the little yellow footprints and was standing in front of the recruit trainers and there was eight, it was a whole birthing full of 80 recruits. And they said, who here has some college experience? Two people raised their hands, including me. And they pointed, I was just the closest one. The guy pointed at me and said, you're the RPOC. And I said, what's that? And he said, that's the recruit chief petty officer. You're now in charge of these guys. Wow. So that from day one, I was I was placed in leadership roles. I was the one when you see those movies where the, they have the big rectangles of people marching down the road. I was the one driving the bus to the chow hall, to our classes, to the ranges, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I was immediately taught how rank and leadership and how it's supposed to work. And the same thing went on what happened when I went on to uh, my specialty school. I'd chosen the culinary arts. Uh, I became a cook in the Navy because, well, that's the direction I'd chosen at the time. And I knew it was a passion. So I was going to be a chef when I got out and I wanted the, the Navy to make me a cook while I was in. Yeah. I'd get a little OJT as well. But even at the ACE, the, they call it ACE schools so where they, uh, they train your, each sailor for their specialty. They saw me stand out as a, uh, the head of the class of the student and they promoted me out of there. So by the time I'd gotten to my first duty station, I'd already gone up two ranks and I'd promoted again. I'm curious to know about your mindset during all of this, because I have a good amount of friends that served in the military and things. And um, I know that you went there for more structure, discipline, purpose and stuff like that. But I, I know, obviously, there's a lot of partying and things like that that go on at the same time. Were you at all interested in that scene? Or were you pretty much at that point where you had already figured out that you didn't want to do that at all? 
Uh, well, the animal house hadn't gotten completely out of me. I, you, know, you get out of it what you put into it, and that's true for just about anything. So I took the military for what it offered, but then I also... My first duty station, I was sent to Italy. I was I lived in Italy for four years. And I was on, on shore duty for two of those and on board the commander of the Sixth Fleet flagship for two years in Gaeta, Italy, which is only a 45-minute commute from where I was already living. And during my on-duty hours, I worked very hard. I got promoted and I, I took leadership roles whenever they were presented to me. And I, I did my best at being a sailor. And then when there was time to hang up the uniform, I became an Italian. I went out into the culture. I learned the language. I learned the cuisine. I toured around Italy and other parts of Europe, even with the the, the ship. Uh, you know, the Admiral doesn't do, the Admiral and, his, and the flagship, they don't do those six-month cruises with uh, carrier groups. I was on the USS LaSalle and it would do maybe a month or so, but it would pull into three or four ports around the Mediterranean, run up the Admiral's flag and throw a reception for the local dignitaries. And it was fantastic. I got to see most uh, most countries that border the Mediterranean and the Aegean and the Black Sea. I got to, it was an amazing experience, an incredible learning experience, both in the uniform and in my off-duty time. Yeah. So I'm curious to know now, coming from that, let's move into your story in Afghanistan. So you're doing all this stuff all over in the Navy and things, and then and 14 years in the military. At what point along the way do you find yourself in Afghanistan? By 2004, both wars were, were in full swing. I was out at sea with uh, the Admiral and the staff, and you know, we were actually seeing those, those Tomahawk missiles launching from Aegis cruisers in the Mediterranean, and then we'd go turn on CNN five minutes later and watch them land. At that moment, I felt the different type of calling. It wasn't just about what the military could do for me, but how I could best serve the military, my country, the Constitution, the president. It was, this is why I was placed here for a reason, and I need to do something more. So I volunteered to be individual augmentee, basically Navy and Air Force individual service members filling in Army roles in Afghanistan during, this was 2006. Okay. And I ended up going from cooking for 25, 35 of the admiral staff to five, six, and 700 NATO staff and troops wow. out in the desert of Afghanistan. But then that's when I learned, I met some EOD technicians, Explosive Ordnance Disposal. They're the military's bomb squad. I met these guys. I learned all about what you know their job was, how dangerous was the tight-knit community, how technical the job was. And I tell you what, I was ready to hang up my apron and my, my spoon immediately. I just wanted, I wanted that. And the number one draw to this uh, occupation was that we were first responders on the battlefield. We ran towards the bombs, the IEDs, the you know, car bombs and all that uh, when everybody was running away. And we saved lives. We saved our allies, the U.S. troops and civilian lives before those nasty bombs uh, detonated. So you actually ended up enrolling in that specific job, like after, so you got stationed there as a cook and then you got to know these people and you're like, yes, this, this is what I've been looking for. Right, exactly. It was not just the discipline, the duty, all of that. I'd finally found something that truly felt like a calling, that mm -hmm. direction I was looking for. Yeah. It felt like the puzzle pieces just finally sunk in. And that's what I wanted to do. The only problem was the Navy wasn't going to let me leave my cooking role. The, my position, my rank was undermanned and uh, they weren't promoting. They weren't going to let me switch jobs. So at the end of the deployment, my contract was up. I just, instead of re-enlisting, I just let my contract expire. I went over to the Army recruiter handed him my paperwork and swore in just this time with a different uniform on. So tell me about before we get into when you were doing this and you ran into a big blast and changed your life around completely before that all happened. Can you tell me like from the time that you re-enlisted with the army until that incident happened, how long were you doing this? And tell me about just like, I got to think that there's just an insane amount of pressure, stress and anxiety that comes along with doing a task like that especially in a time that was really, really turbulent over in the Middle East. So can you talk to me about some of those emotions that you had going into that type of service? 
Well, as you can imagine, both Iraq and Afghanistan were extremely busy. We're fighting two wars, two fronts, and a lot of the battlefield, a lot of the front wasn't person to person. It wasn't man to man. It was these IEDs. They were taking out personnel. They were taking out vehicles. And the IEDs were, you know, set it and forget it type things. The, the right. bad guys could just leave it and wait till we got, got hit. So the military was really adding forces to the EOD community. And there was a lot of promotion. There was a lot of pressure to advance as quickly as you possibly could to fill these roles. And I, when I enlisted in the army, I kept my rank. So I went from petty officer to sergeant. When this happened, I was closer as soon as I came into the army to becoming a team leader. One of the, this is the guy that actually, you know, in, a, in the army, the EOD teams are three person teams. And the team leader, the most experienced one or the highest ranking one is the one that actually goes down and works on the IED. The one that has the most qualification does the job. So mm-hmm. I was quickly placed in a position where I would need to know my job and fast. So I went through all of my qualifications. I did a, 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 the OJT. We did a lot of practice. It was for, this was about, it was about four years. I was living and breathing uh, the job day and night. And uh, I deployed once to Iraq as a team sergeant. And then in 2011, I deployed to Afghanistan, this time as a team leader. Got it. So now leading up to this, as much as you are willing to share, talk to me about what happened on the day of the blast. I just returned back from my two weeks of R&R. Every service member that spends a year on deployment gets to spend two weeks out off the battlefield. In fact, they're required to. So I I was sent back home and uh, spent two weeks with the family. Got to see my boy turn one. I got to witness my dad dress up as Mickey Mouse, which, you know, for, for his grand grandson, which is, you know, to know my dad is, you know, once in a lifetime thing. And I got to spend Thanksgiving with the family, which is a very you know, special time of the year for me. One, you get to spend it with family. It's just another excuse to get everybody together. Plus, it's an excuse to just eat like a glutton. But uh, soon enough, I was throwing the luggage back in the, the armored truck our team uses. And I was leaving the airfield and going back out to our command outpost to get back to work. And along the way on the convoy, convoy commander calls back over the radio and says, EOD, there's something in the road up here. I want you to take a look at it. And you know, I toss that luggage off of the robot in the back, toss the robot out of the, the truck. And we got to work. Tell me like what what like what exactly does that mean we got to work what what like what were you doing Well there wasn't much time to switch from vacation mode to battlefield mode I was like you know right back on the job and the robot went down and does it's a, whenever possible we we send the robot down to inspect before we do everything remotely if possible hmm. yeah, we don't yeah. want to do anything hands on if we can avoid it so we send the robot down and it finds what 99% of all the IEDs in Afghanistan were, at least at the time, were these jugs, like oil jugs, five liter jugs of homemade explosive with a lamp cord connected to a cheap piece of uh, plywood as a pressure plate and a nine volt battery. That's, that's it. The robot took the pressure plate and you know pulled it away from the, uh, the rest of the, the wiring. So it was separated. The switch was gone, but the, it couldn't get the rest of the ID, the heavy packed dirt kept uh, the real explosive stuck in the ground. And one of our primary jobs, besides making sure we mitigate the hazard right there, is that we want to collect evidence to send up. You know, we've got the, the whole alphabet soup represented on the battlefield from FBI, CIA, ATF, and we send all of the evidence we can from biometrics, electronics, chemical analysis, so we can to these guys so that we can get to the bomb makers, the financers, all of that before the next IED can get back onto the battlefield. So my job was, you know, I put, you know, I had to go get that stuff, go get that uh, evidence. So I jumped out of the, the truck and I started making my way towards the IED and about 20 meters from the original IED, a secondary device had detonated and sent me into the sky. I uh, landed on my knees and elbows, the lights went out and I was still conscious, but uh, I couldn't see. I first thought that my my helmet had been pushed over my face. And I first did the, the, the functions check, wiggled the fingers and the toes, the elbows and knees, and found that everything was more or less intact. So I reached up to fix my helmet to find that my 
helmet was gone. Wow. And that's when I thought, that's when I thought, oh no, this is bad. The army's going to want that back. <laughs> that was the first thought. Yeah. Super concerned about losing your helmet. So talk to me now. Did you immediately realize like this is going to affect me for the rest of my life? Or were you hopeful that, hey, maybe after a day or two, I'm going to start getting some of these things back? I held a loose hope eye damage is is a nasty thing. You know, they 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 preach uh, wearing eye protection, safety glasses everywhere at all times on the battlefield. No matter if you're going to the chow hall or you're going into a fight, the, everybody wears eye protection. And man, everything that was on my head just gotten blasted right off. So I'd known it was going to be bad. So there was some permanent damage there. I was hoping that I would be able to see when I got, you know, when the doctors got to me. Within 48 hours, I was at Walter Reed. Multiple surgeries later, the hope was gone. It was dashed. They said one eyeball was completely gone. Uh, the eyelids were even fused together in a permanent wink. And the other eyeball had a, such a severe gash in it that repair was impossible. Hmm. So um, I'd also lost, I uh, blew up both my eardrums. I had cracks in my skull to the point where I was leaking spinal fluid right out of my nose. And I was trying to figure out what I was going to do with the rest of my life. Like, how, how am I going to be a blind man? How do I do what, how can I be me? Be yeah. a father, be a soldier. It was some tough, tough things to face. And, uh, you know, those demons, they, they, they well, you know, in, in the you know, hospital bed, they try to creep in. So you now, obviously, you're coming home, right? You are at the point where you just don't know what's next. So talk to me about how you were able to overcome something that happened tragically in your life and turn it into, you're like the prime example of somebody who turns their mess into their message, turns something that's seemingly super unfortunate on the outside and turns it into something that benefits you for the rest of your life. How do you reframe that at the time? Was there a period of time where you were just like pissed off at the world and didn't want to talk to anybody? And did you go through that phase at all? Or was it immediately just like, I can't go down this, this spiral because I don't know if I'm going to come out? I definitely realized the peril in going into that spiral and the, the self-loathing, the self-pity, the becoming a victim. And now it doesn't mean that I didn't have some really awful days. Yeah. But uh, I looked at it. It was absolutely the military training. It was without a doubt the support of my family. There were many veteran service organizations and the support of the military while I was injured. But it was the military training that and that mindset perspective that it had given me that said that you you, you adapt and overcome. And I, in fact, within the EOD, I use this example where every three-person EOD team is given an entire shipping container full of tools from bomb suits to de-armors to power tools, chemical, hazmat, decontamination kits, all everything that they might find uh, as far as explosive hazards go on the battlefield, we have a tool for it. Mm -hmm. And then we get sent the team and our shipping container to the battlefield and we get this armored truck. And the armored truck, we got to figure out what we're going to fit in there because we can't get the whole shipping container in there. So we got to leave some tools behind. So we pick, of course, the robots, the bomb suits, and a few other things we can shove into the uh, nooks and crannies and boxes all around the truck. But then in Afghanistan, most of the patrols we were doing were on goat paths that we couldn't bring any vehicles. Mm. So now we've got our rucksacks. What can we fit on our backs? And usually it was some C4, some rope, maybe some carabiners and grappling hooks. And then we got to bring water and our food and ammunition. And that's it. We got to do a job with just some C4 and some rope. So now I'm missing. I'm missing a couple of tools. Yeah. And I still, I still have to be a soldier. I'm still, I'm still active duty until they, they let me go. I'm a father, you know, I'm a brother, son. There are all these roles that I still have to play. I can't give up. Right. I have to carry on. Yeah, that's amazing, man. I just want to acknowledge you before we move on for, for taking something like that and turning it into a career path that you've now taken. What's up, everyone? Just wanted to take a quick second and give a shout out to my favorite podcasting app, Himalaya. If you're not listening to podcasts on this new app, you're definitely missing out. It's like a social media app, but for podcast listeners. Follow your go-to shows, like and comment on your favorite episodes, and download professionally curated playlists made just for you. So head on over to your app store or Google Play store and download Himalaya today and thank me later. 
Talk to me now about the business. So like you get home, you realize I can't just roll over. I can't go down this spiral. I can see where it would lead and I don't want to be in that position. And I, like you said, I still have these roles to fill, right? I'm still a father. I still have these other things that I need to, that I, that I'm taking responsibility for in life. So at that point, was it like, well, I'm just going to focus on being a dad and I'm just going to like collect my disability check. Or was it more just like, I got to do something to occupy my mind. I want something more than just living. I want to produce and make a difference in people's lives. Like talk to me about that whole thought process and what eventually led you to now what you guys are doing with your, your cooking company. Right after I gotten out of the hospital, Walter Reed, I went to blind rehabilitation at the VA hospital where they taught me how to use the can, accessibility things, talking phones and computers. And I learned how to be blind. But then kind of being released into the wild. Now I've got to go use my new skills and prove that I can carry on. And I was so terrified of being stuck on the couch or stuck in the house and being sorry for myself and being popping pills or being one of those terrible uh, losses, suicides we have uh, with our military and our veterans. So I uh, may have overcompensated. I started climbing mountains, running marathons, whitewater kayaking, and (laughs) (laughs) anything I could do to really get out of the house. But it just success built on success. I found that I could do these things. And what happened was I was connecting with others that had already done gone this way. Blind people, Eric Weinmayer, who's uh, uh, the only blind person to ever climb Mount Everest. Mm -hmm. If If that guy can do that, I can do, I can get out of the house. I sought him out. I climbed a mountain with him. Just a couple of weeks ago, I climbed another one with him. I found Lonnie Bedwell, the first blind person to kayak the entire Grand Canyon. And you know what? I went kayaking with him. It's like literally the definition of the blind leading the blind. But in this case, (laughs) a solid way of going about it, right? Absolutely right. During this time, I was also speaking and I was telling my story and I was telling him about how it's all about perspective. And I was finding success through challenging myself. It wasn't despite struggle. It was because of the struggle that I was growing stronger, more confident. I was growing my network. I was making more friends and I was adding value to other people's lives. However, in 2015, I'd, uh, I, was, I was doing pretty well. I'd climbed three 14,000-foot peaks in this one day. I'd kayaked the Yellowstone River. I was two weeks from heading out to Kilimanjaro and climbing my first of the seven summits wow. when I was knocked to the mat again. I had contracted bacterial meningitis right through those cracks in my skull that I guess either hadn't been fully patched or reopened. So now I'm near death all over again. And either the heavy doses of antibiotics or the bacteria itself stole what was left of my hearing, leaving me completely blind and completely deaf. So for six months before even the first cochlear implant would even have a chance to give me sound again, I was locked in my body. I can't even imagine what that experience is like. Can, can you, like, like I said, again, as, as much as you're willing to share, can you kind of like just enlighten us to what that would even be like? It's incredibly lonely, terribly, terribly isolating. I couldn't hear anything at all. The inner workings of my ear were done. Even, you know, that, uh, the, like the crunching of, it was a, it was stolen over about the bacteria worked its way to total deafness over about two weeks. And during that time, things started getting fuzzy, like a bad reception. And then external sound was gone until the point where all I could hear was faintly was uh, me chomping on tortilla chips. So better believe I went through about three of those before. (laughs) But that was, it was so terrible, the feeling that, you know, my girlfriend at the time, my wife now, she was writing every letter of every word that somebody needed to communicate with me in the palm of my hand to, that was the only way to get a message in. Of course, I thought at this moment, it would have been really nice if I'd bothered to learn Braille. But <laughs> yeah, right. with all the technology out there, I'd, uh, I'd skipped it. What was it like with your relationship with your kids at that point? At the time, it was uh, um, just my son, and he's product of another marriage. So it was not a friendly divorce. And throw trouble on top of trouble, There's a, you know, there was a custody battle. So not to go too deep into that, we now have custody of my son. And it's just been a learning experience because he, at the time, was just four or five years old. Yeah. And he doesn't know his dad as uh, the dad with sight or hearing. 
Right. So, you know, his, our relationship has grown up as dad he knows today. Yeah. And, and how, how old is he now? He's nine in November. Okay. And then, and then you have the twins on top of that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And they're five months old. Five months. Okay. Wow. Oh, wow. Okay. My son is four months. So oh, that's terrific. Yeah. That, that's funny. So, yeah. I, I can't imagine having double of what I have now. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh my gosh. It's props it's to you. Fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's definitely a fun challenge, but that challenge nonetheless. Now, you asked about EOD and extraordinary delights. Yes. Yes. While I was in this total darkness and total silence, life went on around me. And again, it was about 2015 and the holidays were coming. Thanksgiving was coming. And like I mentioned, it's one of my favorites. So we decided uh, that we weren't going to feel sorry for ourselves and I wasn't going to be down. I was going to throw a feast. The whole family was coming. Friends were coming. Neighbors. It was going to be huge. So I did a turkey in the smoker, one in the oven, had ham and all the fixings. There was no room for dinner plates with all of the other stuff on the table. <laughs> and I started making desserts weeks in advance. And I was making candies and cakes and cookies and pies. And I made fudge after tray of fudge after tray of fudge. And every time I was throwing nuts and spices, a little booze in, you know, in there and flavor after flavor. And Michaela, my wife, said she noticed something on my face that she hadn't seen in six months. And that was, that was a smile. Mm -hmm. I was, I'd found a uh, you know, previous passion and it was helping me through a really dark time. It was my therapy mm -hmm. and I was enjoying myself. The only problem was I was making so much of this stuff that no family of any size would be able to finish it. In one. <laughs> so she was sneaking it out, sneaking it out the front door. And then I say sneak it, like you really have to be real stealthy around a blind deaf guy. <laughs> but yeah, people are coming back and saying, "Can we? You know, I got a, I got a bar mitzvah. I got a baby shower. Can I buy some more of this from you?" Absolutely. And all of a sudden, we had this fudge business, and it started growing. We we had uh, some friends in the business community, and they connected us with all sorts of entities. You know, from incorporating, you know, and being the legal stuff, uh, right. finding co-packers to you know commercial food processors. Because eventually, it, you know, our home kitchen wasn't going to be, uh, be big enough because we the demand grew so fast. So and all of a sudden, EOD took off. This time, instead of explosive ordnance disposal, extraordinary delights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. extraordinary delights is uh, something I would much rather do than uh, <laughs> explosive <laughs> ordnance disposal, for sure. So along this path here, Talk to me about the first time that you had the cochlear implant and you actually heard something. Were you under the impression that this was going to work or was it like a total shot in the dark and you were just like crossing your fingers hoping it was going to work? There is something called the Stockdale Paradox. I don't know if you've heard of this, but it's Admiral James Stockdale was a POW and they asked him, how did you survive seven years in confinement and could you tell who would make it? He said, absolutely. And it was the hopeful. The ones that were hoped were the ones that didn't last as long. Mm, and you say, well, how does that work? And you say, okay, you know, hopeful say when we're going to be rescued, the Americans are going to come by Christmas and Christmas would come and go and their hopes would be dashed. And then they would say, okay, by Easter, we'll be rescued and Easter would come and go. The difference in Stockdale and how he kept the faith was it was exactly that. He kept a solid grasp on reality of what's really going to happen and how he's going to go the day by day. But he never lost faith in a good ending. So it's different than just being hopeful and having blind hope. Now me, I fell a little bit to the Stockdale paradox when my first, you know, I have cochlear implants in both ears and it was six or uh, seven months before they put the first one in, they turned it on and I thought, okay, I'm going to hear as soon as I turn this thing on. And it's not like that. One, I, there's more blast damage to my inner ear from the IED than the cochlear implant could overcome. So it was useless. But then even when we got to the the second one, and they have to do them separately. So surgery, wait two weeks to for the surgical site to heal. Then you go get this thing, which is connected by magnet, connected, tuned in. And then your brain has to go through a whole new process of learning with this digital signal when you're, you're I guess, used to analog or whatnot. And it takes a lot of time. Some wow. people say it takes it over a year to really get comfortable with the, the new sound. So do things sound different now in terms of like frequency or high pitch, low pitch? Does anything sound different from what you remember it sounding like? Everything sounds digital. Everything sounds, imagine you're in quiet room 
and a very dark one. And you call your friend who's at a restaurant and your friend takes the phone, puts it on speaker, puts it in the middle of the table in a busy restaurant. And now you're listening into the world. They're listening to the conversation there. You're also picking up everything going on around conversations outside the table, the waiters clinking glasses, you know, and everything interferes. It's a wall of sound. So it's, it sounds like almost kind of like listening to the radio. It's just like everything is that digital type of a sound to it. Pretty much, yeah, and it's um or the drive-through at McDonald's, yeah, yeah. Got it, got it, yeah. Don't get me wrong; it is a miracle, and I would be yeah. pulling, the, I would be pulling a full Helen Keller if it weren't for the cochlear implants. But yeah, it has its limitations. It's nothing like the real thing. Yeah, that's amazing, man. Uh, there's so many pieces of your story that are just absolutely incredible. But let's focus in on the extraordinary delights thing now, because that's obviously something that you guys are focusing in a lot on. It's kind of the thing that pulled you out of a super dark place. And now it's going really well. So talk to us about how we can find that how we can try some of it. I'm in the middle of like this 90 day no sugar thing. So it's a really unfortunate time for me because you're just making my mouth water by mentioning all these amazing sounding desserts. But for everybody else that can partake, <laughs> where do we find more about it and talk Talk to us about how the business has been going. Well, the business is going great. You can find us at eodfudge.com and you can find us on all the social media outlets at EOD Confections. The business is going really well. And you know, I tell you what, just through there's this parallel or you know, like you say, this growing your network where through my good works, through my speaking, through my volunteering, through working with other veteran service organizations, and all of that adventuring I did the first years after going blind, it was this bigger network that helped EOD really get off the drawing board and really propelled it into real entrepreneurial effort. Right, like taking it from just cooking and selling to your neighbors to an actual business that's paying you real money. Actually, yeah, it's great. It's a surprise looking back now how quickly it happened and how much our friends, our connections, our family really put in a ton of effort to get the word out. And we st- it still does. We put out content all the time on Facebook and Instagram and it, gets, it works. It, it's fantastic. And it's uh, really grown the business quite a bit. So let me ask you this, Aaron. Do you believe that who you know or what you know is more important? I see it as the yin and the yang two sides of the same coin. And you can have a service, knowledge, what you know, a value to give, but if you don't know who to give it to or anyone, then that that value really is useless. And on the flip side, you can grow this terrific network and have friends and identities and have customers. But if you don't have a service, you don't have that knowledge, then you're not just going to, you're not going anywhere. You may even be disappointing others by building up hype and building up demand. So I believe there it's a symbiotic relationship and you, you really can't be successful uh, without both. Yeah. So wrapping this uh, conversation up here and kind of going back to something that we touched on at the beginning and a little bit in the middle, do you feel like the business and Extraordinary Delights, everything that you're doing with that, do you feel that that has been fulfilling that search for purpose for you? Yes, I do. It is, it's another challenge, just like um, the mountains or the marathons or uh, raising twins. Becoming an entrepreneur, becoming a small business owner is just another challenge for both me and, and my wife. It's been engaging. It's been fun. It's been extremely difficult at times. But like I said, it's the struggle that gives us growth. We don't grow muscles without without working out. We don't grow lung capacity without running. And we don't grow as people without hardships. And business has definitely done that. It's given us a more fulfilled sense of being. And it's also led to other avenues. We became first-time real estate investors. In fact, I learned about your podcast through Bigger Pockets when you- Oh, you there were, you go. There. Nice. Awesome. Yeah. yeah, that's really cool. So here's a good place, I think, to wrap up and put a pin in this conversation. Talk to somebody out there that's struggling right now, Aaron, because you said without struggle, there's no growth. And I'm, I'm such a big proponent and believer in that. And you are the prime example of that. If anybody could look at their situation and say, this isn't fair, this isn't my fault, screw the world, it would be you. And you're out here just, just hustling and attacking and building your purpose and living life to your fullest and doing things 
things and accomplishing feats of physical things that most people won't ever do, even though they're fully able-bodied and totally have that ability to do those things. And, and you're actually out there doing them. So talk to somebody out there right now that may be struggling. Maybe they're going through something that they view as, as really traumatic and, and it probably is traumatic. Maybe they lost a loved one. They're, they're going through a struggle right now and they don't see the positive end to it. What would you say to them? Well, first thing is that that feeling, it's a very selfish feeling. And I know it's a, a hard way to look at it, mm. but self depression. So it's once we start looking at it as selfishness, we're only thinking about us, ourselves, a feeling about our pain. When we shift our perspective, when we believe, we start thinking empathetically and we start feeling other people's pain, it becomes our pain actually diminishes when we take on others' pain. You know, there's a great book uh, with the Archbishop Desmond Tutu and the Dalai Lama, the Book of Joy. And they talk about the, their worst times and then they just looked at uh, somebody else and they focused on adding value and, and taking other people's pain from them. And they, they didn't feel their own pain. Their, their pain was less. And again, like I said, the military training told me that not only is it about, you can't worry about what you've lost and what you don't have. And you can't, can't sit on the battlefield and be, you know, cry about being a, a victim. And it, it just gets you and those around you in deeper hot water or, you know, more pain. So you got to pick yourself up. You got to dust off. And you got to find out what tools you still have in your kit. And you got to adapt and overcome. You move on. And one of the best ways to do that is through gratitude. Mm. Be thankful for what you do have. Be thankful for those you have around you, those who love you, and you can still count on their support in difficult times. Amazing. Thank you so much for coming to the show today. We're running out of time. I wish I could talk to you a little bit longer, but let's go ahead and move on to the last segment, something I like to call the random round. Just a few quick random questions and quick random answers. You ready? All right. What profession other than your own do you think that it would be fun to attempt? In-flight missile mechanic. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> uh, I always want to learn the guitar. Maybe try uh, you know, being in a band. If you could sit on a park bench with someone, past or present, and talk to them for an hour, who would it be? Oh my gosh, Aristotle or Bill Murray. Actually, you know, speaking of the Book of Joy, I think I would really love to sit down with the Dalai Lama. How do you like to consume content? Books, audiobooks, blogs, podcasts, or videos? Audiobooks. Audio-based is pretty much the only way I can do it anyways. <laughs> I was going to say, why is that? Why is that? Her? Oh, man. I was going to address the question as I was saying it, and I was like, oh, whatever. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe he learned Braille in the meantime. No, I always loved uh, reading, and when I couldn't do the, the hard copy, I just went to audio-based. Yeah. Uh, did did you ever take the time to learn Braille again or no? I did during the those few uh, months where I was uh, deaf and blind, but as soon as the uh, cochlear implant started working, I gave it up again. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's like trying to learn a code, a new language yeah. that I, I know I'm not going to use unless I'm lost in an elevator or a hotel hallway. Give us a glimpse of your morning routine. Before the infants came, the twins came, I got up early to, to do my morning run, my morning workout. I just spent a little time in silence. I grab, you know, the first thing I do before any of that is drink a big glass of water. And then I do uh, some affirmations, workout. And then I wake up my son and uh, get him ready for, for school in the morning, make him breakfast and uh, his lunch. And by that time, it's time to get the other boys up to, uh, you know, for their first bottle. What is your go-to pump-up song? Well, before I, I lost the ability to really, you know, understand music. Like I said, it's like listening to listening to the radio, but right at the end of the broadcast reach. So it's real scratchy. Music is too much data for the uh, cochlear implant. But oh, really? Okay, I, when, gotcha. When you, I have to, you have to out, forgive my ignorance on some of these things. One of my favorite pump-up songs was. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, saliva. Mm, got it, got it. Besides business, Aaron, what is something that you are not very good at? So setting business aside, what's something just like that you're just not very good at? Something never came naturally to you? Skiing. <laughs> Water skiing, snow skiing, both? Snow skiing, alpine style. I don't know why. I've never been very good. Even I've gone blind skiing, but it's, well, other blind skiers are just phenomenal. My buddy Lonnie, the kayaker, is also a pretty terrific skier. So incredible. Yeah. And dancer, by the way. But uh, 
don't tell me how I know or ask me how I know that. Um, <laughs> but uh, usually I'm just more of the goof off. I'm not very great at skiing. So what I do is I, I pull my, my knit cap way over my face. So it's covering my, my non-existent eyes. And then I just, I have a, I, my guide and I will have a radio and it's one of those motorcycle intercom radios. Yeah. And he'll tell me left, right, left. And so I can saw him. And what I do is I just go down going, ah, with my hands and my poles in the sky, my <laughs> you know, hat over my face. Yeah. And, and I can hear in my ear, left turn, right turn, Aaron, you're a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, so funny. As we get everything wrapped up here, Aaron, what is one place online where we will find you the most? Wow, actually, uh, if it's not... Uh, tending to our social media, you know, tending to the you know, social media networks on, on Facebook and Instagram. Another thing I'm not very good at Instagram, usually uh, sites like bigger pockets. Uh, oh, cool. That's, that's one of my uh, latest passions is learning more about real estate and investing, awesome. uh, making our business money work for us. Yeah, that's amazing. So what social site would you say you spend the most time on besides the bigger pockets community? Probably Facebook. Okay. And is that just your first and last name or is that your business page? The business and personal web, uh, personal side. It's one, the most accessible and the, you know, the, the easiest to, to, to use and connect with others. Beyond that, just the Twitter. Cool. Awesome. So if you want to hear more from Aaron, which after hearing this conversation, I don't know how you would not, um, make sure you go check out his stuff over on Facebook. Connect with him, check out the business Extraordinary Delights and uh, test it out, order some. Let me know how it tastes until I'm done with this 90 day thing. And then once I'm back on, I'm all in on the sugar, my man. So I will be reaching back out at that point and I'll definitely try some so I can be a personal testimony for, for the business. And uh, man, Aaron, honestly, man, it's been a an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much for reaching out and, and, uh, and making this happen. I've had a fantastic time chatting with you, getting to know you a little bit better. Well, thanks for having me on. It's been a, a lot of fun. Well, that's it for today's show. Thank you so much for tuning in. As most of you know, I talk a lot about giving value to others. This podcast is one of the ways that I do that since all the content from the show is totally 100% for free. And when people ask me how they can add value to me, one of the ways I tell them is to head over to iTunes, hit the subscribe button and leave a rating and review. This not only gives me valuable feedback on what you think about the show, but it also helps me with Apple's algorithm. So please, 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 if you have not done that yet, head over to iTunes, leave a rating and review for the show. It adds tremendous value and it only takes a minute or two of your time. Also, if you have not yet registered for my live event out here at Top Golf behind MGM in Las Vegas this coming November, then you're going to want to head to buildyournetworklive.com to do that right away. Seating is extremely limited, so you need to act fast on this. Head to buildyournetworklive.com to grab your ticket today. Trust me, you are going to want to be a part of this inaugural live event so that in 10 years from now, you can brag about being one of the founding members. Plus, you know me, I promise I will over-deliver on value and make it worth way more than you are going to invest to get here. So have a wonderful rest of your day and remember to leave every relationship better than you found it. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.